Crossroads is a church for people journeying toward thriving faith in Jesus. We covenant to help people move people through our four objectives. By helping you, your neighbors, and friends discover Jesus by being a vibrant worshiping community that is a trusted presence in greater Baltimore. By making it simple to belong to our church family. By assisting you to identify your unique role to play in God's story and by offering support as you develop a personal faith that functions and serves in today's world. This is our mission. Together, we will help many people, including you and your family, flourish through life's crossroads. Good morning, Pastor Jake. Good morning, Pastor Tim. How you doing? I'm doing really good. We are in probably my favorite time of the year. Red cup at Starbucks? Uh, no. Although I do have one of those this morning. <laughs> uh, no, I I love the season of Advent. Oh, now, that was going to be my second. Second choice. guess, yeah. yeah. All throughout my life, I've always loved December. I love leading up into Christmas time. I love... Um, I love parties. I love uh, concerts. I, lo I love all of that stuff. I've loved it all my life. But uh, I used to, when I was a kid, call this Christmas time. Mm -hmm. Same. Um, it was just Christmas. Yeah, which is great. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But you, you know what else I remember being really confused about? What was that? That silly 12 Days of Christmas song. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't quite fit with, like, the 25 Days of Christmas on ABC Family. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so we'd be singing about uh, five hens or whatever, golden rings, five golden rings. See? And uh, I would always think to myself, there appears only to be one day of Christmas in my life. <laughs> Where do these 12 days come from? Yeah. And so um, it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that it was referencing December 25th to January 5th, the time between... Uh, Christmas Day and Epiphany. Yep. Those 12 days are supposed to be a continual celebration of Jesus's birth in the life of believers until Epiphany, which is the day that we celebrate that the wise men came and brought yeah. gifts to Jesus. And then when I learned that, I then also learned that the four weeks before Christmas are called Advent. I'd heard this language before. I imagine you did too at your church, right? Yeah. I mean, I grew up hearing about Advent and we'd light candles, but that was about it. Yep. And the other thing that I remember is that Every once in a while, I would or my friends would get an advent calendar where they got to open up and maybe get a piece of chocolate or a candy every day through the month as well. That's cool. We never did anything like that. Yeah. So this is this is all I knew. And to me, it was um, it, it certainly smelled like preparation and waiting and excitement. But we didn't talk about it in those terms. And so... Uh, now that I'm an adult and I'm learning more and more about Advent, I really enjoy taking some time for those themes because I could use a little preparation and excitement and hope in my life. Yeah. The more I'm learning about Advent and just the more um, I've learned and experienced Advent, the more I, I realize how much I've missed out on. Growing up, we, I mean, we had a children's play, the Sunday after Christmas or Sunday right before Christmas, sometimes like an adult play about this dawned moment where some lost child comes home and they reconcile. 
and it was all busyness and crazy. And then Christmas happened and then it was done. We're pulling down the lights. We're pulling down Christmas decorations around the church and that's it. We had maybe a, a series of four weeks of five ways of how not to lose yourself during this stressful, busy time. But we never really talked about this idea that Advent is a time of waiting, a tension, a time of Christ is coming. Yeah. And what I think is beautiful about Advent is that um, it finds us in our busyness and our stress and doesn't demand more busyness from us. No. And so what we're going to do this next month on this podcast is walk through the four themes that we talk about on Sunday morning in order that's hope, peace, joy, and love. And each Tuesday, we're going to talk with someone about that theme and about mm -hmm. the idea of Advent. And we want to make Advent real in your house. Uh, my hope is that at this point, we have begun to make Advent real in church. But we're hoping that this finds you in your anxiety, in your struggle, especially in a year like 2020, where we've lost a lot. There's yeah. a lot to complain about, and uh, justifiably so. Uh, we want to find you in those places in your home where there is real reason to be aggrieved in 2020. And we hope to tell stories about that aggrievement. And we hope also to give you practical, tangible ways to lead your family in discipleship around this theme of Advent. And so already uh, we're a couple episodes into recording and, and we're sharing some things that are short as two minutes that you can do with your family or by mm -hmm. yourself to really wrestle with the themes that we talk about of, of preparation, of waiting, of active waiting, of longing, and also lament and frustration. Yeah. And so um, so that's, that's where we're at here is my guess is many of you, unless perhaps you grew up Catholic or, or mainline, You've not celebrated Advent before, so we want to bridge the gap for you. How do you celebrate it? How do you bring that into the midst of what's a busy season and have it be sort of a release valve where you can draw nearer to Christ? And I think the hope is that so many of us can't come and worship together as the body in person. You know, we may be able to watch online and that's nice and it's good, but it's not quite the same. And the, so this is a way to extend our community of worshiping and preparing together by implementing this at home. And I think this year more than ever is a great time to, ad to add a new practice of how do you celebrate Advent with your spouse, with your friends, with your kids, or just yourself at home if you are a single person. And it's a great way of even if you can't be here in person to celebrate worldwide the community of faith, the church, as we prepare for the Christ to come. Absolutely. And so we kick this whole series off this month with Lisa Jo Baker today. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Lorraine Huffman was on this, uh, this podcast and she spoke about women's retreat. Lisa Jo was one of our speakers that weekend. She's a member at Crossroads and she talks a whole lot about her love of story. Mm. And, uh, and in telling about her love of story, she talks about her kids and some of the ways that she's developed as a parent into leaning into Advent. And she tells some interesting practices that she and her family uh, lean into, some successful, some unsuccessful. <laughs> but that's part of the joy of this is, is trial and error and learning yep. and, 
And uh, finding ways as a parent that you could develop uh, traditions and practices in your family that help your kids draw nearer to Christ. That's my favorite thing about connecting with God. There's not a one-size-fit-all pathway that we can connect with God in different ways. Absolutely. So lean in and listen to Lisa Joe as she speaks uh, to us and with me about how we can celebrate Advent and how we can lean into this concept from last Sunday of hope. Hey, welcome to Through Life's Crossroads. This week we're talking Advent, and I have my friend Lisa Joe Baker here with me to talk through it. I'm going to give her a chance to introduce herself in just one second, but before she does, I want to tell you a story about an interaction I had with her recently. Um, I was finishing up a sermon series on uh, the book that I had written recently written, and the last part was on benediction. And there's this moment that a friend told me about at the end of the last Lord of the Rings movie, which I've not seen Lord of the Rings. I have no interest in Lord of the Rings. Uh, it is way outside of my genre. And uh, But a friend told me about this great moment where two people at the end, uh, gave one gave a book to the other, and there was this um, the book was unfinished, even though the story, the epic story was done. And I just thought that was such a great idea of benediction that, um, that there's more to be written of the service, that you give a benediction to send people and find that what's been done in worship doesn't end at the last amen. And so I told this story, but also mentioned that I had not read or watched Lord of the Rings before. And, and I gave the caveat that I had no interest in doing it. So please don't try to convince me. And I came off the stage and wa walked right by Lisa Joe. And she grabs me and says, I know you said that uh, you would not re watch it, but you really have to. And uh, the service wasn't even over. I hadn't even done my benediction that week. And I was already getting a full-fledged articulation as to why I should watch Lord of the Rings. So do you want to make your case for Lord of the Rings, Lisa Joe? <laughs> I'll make my case for why I accosted you. You forgot to mention that you also said... I'm sure before I even walk out of this building, one of you will approach me and try to convince me to watch Lord of the Rings. And so I was just trying to fulfill that prophecy yes. for you. And and you were just the first of about four <laughs> that <know>. day. So <laughs> four educated and wise souls too. <laughs> I know. And it's never like um people that I don't think are cool or interesting and watch it. It's like I I like I really like all of these people and think they're interesting. Uh, there's so much I have in common with them, and yet I still just can't bring yeah. myself to an interest of 12 hours of this Hobbit story. I know. We feel sorry for you, and one day all will be revealed when you get to heaven, and Jesus is like, wow, Tim, you really missed out on that allegory. Of all of the theologians, Tim, <laughs> yes. it is J.K., J., no, whatever, J.R., Tolkien. Wow. Yeah. Yes, it's Tolkien. He is the one that I do want to meet in heaven one day. You see, I don't even, I can't even get the author's name right. This is how little I know. I almost called him C.S. Lewis. I know. It's okay, though, because they were very good friends. Yeah. So, Lisa Joe, you are a, a member at Crossroads and also uh, involved in so many other things. Um, I 
I don't want to go on a big long list of your accomplishments because I'll do it all day and then you'll blush. But you want to give us just a little insight about who you are and what you do? Sure. I mean, I'm a, I'm a movie and book nerd. I feel like that sums it up perfectly. I love stories. I love to write stories. I'm married to Peter, who was, I believe, your first guest My here first on the guest, podcast. Yeah. And we have three very loud children. The very loud part is really important. It explains a lot about Pete and I's mental health these days, trapped at home with all of them. I love all of your children so much. And uh, shortly after meeting your boys, I shot hoops with them one mm. time at church. And um, they, they are of the age where they want to shoot from 30 feet away and yes. not make layups. And they, they just kept, they kept missing. And I just started, <laughs> the more, the more they shot, the more I talked junk and the more I talked junk, the angrier they got and the worse they missed. And, um, I, I don't have the experience of having boys, mm. but, um, every once in a while, I get moments like that with boys, like your boys. And if I had boys, I would want your boys. Your boys are my kind of boys. They're uber competitive. Uber competitive. Yes. yes. The whole day. Yes. Like, and weren't mad at me that I was talking. Like they no, wanted they to prove like me it. wrong. Yes. And oh, I just had so much fun just with them. Just revs their engine. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's just, it's just great. Um, so, uh, so the reason I tell that story about uh, Lord of the Rings, actually, and why it is I invited you to talk about Advent with me in particular is because... What you told me in that story was that last year, your family utilized a watching of the Lord of the Rings as an Advent practice through the entire year. And while I got to admit, I didn't find anything interesting about your argument as to why I should watch it, <laughs> I was incredibly compelled by the fact that the Baker family had an intentional Advent practice together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... Um, like that part really revved my engine. Hmm. And um, and so could you just talk just for a moment before we get into this whole idea of hope that we're going to talk about today, why it is that the Baker family has chosen Advent as a season worth celebrating. Uh, you can talk about Lord of the Rings all you want, like why that matched <laughs> how you all saw um, a, a, a good practice for your family through that, that movie. But But why have you chosen to celebrate Advent and make that a theme in your family's life? Well, I'll say first that I didn't grow up celebrating Advent. And as a family, we only started celebrating it maybe five or six years ago now. And it's because we have some very close friends who are part of a more liturgical church background than we are. So we learned a lot from them about the liturgical calendar just in the life of the church in general. So, you know, growing up Protestant, we tend to celebrate the big days, right? So Christmas, Easter, these are the big holidays. But what I didn't realize is that they are actually pivotal milestones in a church calendar that's really tracking time throughout the year based on this big story that we're part of, yeah. this biblical True narrative. story as a child, I couldn't figure out why Easter was a big deal. I mean, I knew Jesus was resurrected, but it was always confusing to me as a child. You have to understand yeah, as yeah, a child yeah. why one Sunday we were waving palm branches saying that Jesus is Lord and the next week saying Jesus is risen. I like I and I could not figure out for the life of me what that had to do with bunnies and my sister right. being in cute shoes. Right. Well, it doesn't have anything to do yeah. with it. So but that's but part like of there it. was no there was no yeah. Good Friday service. Yeah. Uh, there was no uh, reflection on Saturday of, mm. of just the blackness and right. darkness of the tomb. It was one week Jesus is Lord, Hosanna, save us, and the next week He is risen. Interesting. And I had the hardest time understanding why in the world we cared about Easter. So as an author, which is my job, I love stories. Like I love them, whatever form they come in. Like I can cry in a good commercial, okay? Like, <laughs> if it's well done, I am, I, my children, their heads will all rotate toward me during Super Bowl commercials. And my son will be like, are you crying yet? Are you crying yet? Yeah. <laughs> I love stories. And I actually 
my kids and I, we talk a lot about this. They roll their eyes, but I always say if they bring me like some new TV show or some song that they love, or even like a TikTok that they saw that moved them, I am always going to ask them, what did it preach to you? Because I believe all stories are trying to teach us or preach to us something. Mm -hmm. They all want us to follow them. And we want to know, is it worth following? So because in our house, I love stories so much. I really, when we tapped into the deeper meaning of the church calendar, which is this whole story, this vision of understanding how we now in 2020 fit into a biblical narrative that's been going on now for centuries, it's deeply fulfilling to realize, oh, there's a plot like way bigger than my life, way bigger than my family's life. And every year when the church, and I use, you know, capital letter C, like the Mm -hmm. global church, together we all walk these same milestones every year we feel connected and reminded that we're part of a larger story not just the one my family's living not just the one north america is living but one that globally this time of year we are all doing something that participates in a story that's been around now for 2000 years it's deeply comforting especially in a year like 2020 yeah absolutely and and i i agree with that fully i've also learned about the uh the concept of the lectionary, which I'm not a slave to, like some of my friends are, but that it ties right into that church year too, where you can even know that whether a church is um, German Lutheran or, or Japanese um, uh, Presbyterian or African Charismatic, if they're following this, this, the churches are reading the same scriptures on Sunday when right. they gather together, not just on the big high holy days like Easter and Christmas, but right. just on your average August Sunday, uh, these scriptures are being considered by people all across the world. Right. And again, I don't follow the lectionary perfectly during Advent. I do. Um, so this last week I read from Isaiah. It's not a text I would choose on my own, but it asks the pastor to think outside of their favorite texts and their favorite topics, which I like. And it also reminds you that, that, uh, Across the world, there are Christians who are considering this very concept today. I think it's a beautiful thing. It's powerful, too. I love C.S. Lewis, a good fan of J.R. Tolkien, (laughs) fan and friend. Um, But Lewis writes in his famous little short novelette, Screwtape Letters, where he's talking about, he writes this really interesting take on like what a devil or demon might think when he's trying to tempt a Christian. And one of the things that Screwtape, this devil character says, is that the problem with Christians today is they only think of church as the people who meet in their building on Sundays, the guy sitting in the pew next to them, or maybe these days, you know, the person tuning into the live stream and they see their comments show up. And so they're very limited in their view of what church Church means. And he says what they, sort of the darkness, the dark side, mean when they say church is the way they see church spread out across time, even. So across centuries, that a mighty, fearful, terrible army with banners is how mm-hmm. he describes it from the early church through to us now. And so when I participate in something like Advent, and I know that the church across the world, the global church, are doing similar readings walking this path toward Christmas Day, I'm reminded we are in fact part of a story so much bigger, so deeply rooted, and that has an outcome that's guaranteed. And that is how I remember a capital letter C, church, that makes the gates of hell quiver. And the the word church comes from the New Testament word ecclesia, which just means called out ones. Mm -hmm. And when you think of it like that, 
you do you just like it has no concept for building right or time or place is the ones who have been called out of sin and bondage in the world in right. order to be the the witnesses and yeah there's there's no time or space right attached to that word right yeah so for our family you know sometimes you can get a little precious about advent some families and i, I don't say that negatively i mean like it's meaningful they sit down they do readings and devotions they do coloring pages and sing a song it's just never going to be our people tim it's never going to be my people yeah i had a few brutal years where i tried to be precious with advent <laughs> We had readings and coloring pages and crafts, and it was a disaster. It was a total disaster. My children, like most children, were irritable, and they snapped and said it was dumb, and was I just doing this so I could take pictures for social media? <laughs> <laughs> but what I realized about Advent, and I'm sure we'll talk more about the meaning of it, but in order to get our family to really enter into the season of waiting, I mean, essentially, that's what Advent is, right? It's the season of waiting and expectation. That's what it means. Um, we try to adopt different practices each year that lend themselves to the greater story that we're part of. So my kids are driven by story the way we are. And Lord of the Rings is a very powerful story about a small, unassuming character who should have been defeated by Ooh, the army of darkness. The first time I ever preached about that, that piece of the Lord of the yeah. Rings, I called it an elf <laughs> and I got booed by a small section of my church. Because it's not an elf, it's a hobbit, right? That's right. Well, there are elves, but the main character is a hobbit. Yeah, I called it. I called it an elf. Oh, that's, yes. Yes. That's this so how. This, yeah. It's, a, it's heresy. And yeah. Yeah. That's the right. Church. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, but you know, it really is. It's a story about light against darkness. Essentially, that's mm -hmm. what Lord of the Rings is, and so that's what Advent is. We are remembering that the light came in the darkness, and the darkness has not been able to put it out. Yeah, and um, and the other thing that I love about Advent as well is that it's it's intentionally before christmas because we're preparing and entering in really i think into that 400 year season between prophets and jesus's birth mm -hmm. uh so so we're anticipating christmas all that's happening I, and i found myself believing that um gift buying is a mm. holy activity <laughs> through through uh through advent because um i I, I, Jesus is the gift. It's all supposed to represent this, but also like thinking through uh, some ways like the wise men or whatever, but like thinking about the people in your life and thinking deeply about them and then going through the process of preparing something that will be mm. meaningful to them in the season of Advent while you're waiting for Christmas, right? And so this is a big explosion of joy on Christmas. So we're waiting for Christmas. All of this stuff is preparation for Christmas, but there's this tension of waiting on the second coming of Christ as well. And if there's anything that the season of the 400 years between the last word of Malachi and the first word of Matthew teaches us is that God works in God's time, not ours. Mm -hmm. And um, and one of the themes of, of Advent is patience. And I don't know that we're ever going to nail down why God waits, why God's quiet sometimes, mm -hmm. um, why we can't figure out exactly what God wants us to do in the moment. But Advent is great great preparation if if we think about it if we spend time imagining it uh watching our kids anticipate how many days left until christmas um go, going to christmas parties and interacting with people we love all the pomp and circumstances that comes with christmas it's not christmas it's all preparation and moving in that direction and waiting for something big and all of that stuff for me the more i become aware of the themes of advent 
all of these things that that a lot of people talk about in terms of like chore or expectation or things they have to do or all these kind of things, expectations, I, I've shifted them for me to be much more holy activities mm. because they're about the preparation for the the experience of Christmas, which is, you know, often around your family. And I enjoy watching my kids open their gifts far more than I enjoy mm -hmm. opening gifts for myself. Yeah. And some of that is just the love and thought that I've put into their lives up until that moment to see it burst in joy mm -hmm. when they see it. And so, um, so this is one of the practices I've, I've not watched Lord of the Rings, but I try to think of all of these things in December, which once felt like a chore in a schedule as holy moments that are preparing me for mm -hmm. the burst of joy that is Christmas, the celebration of Jesus's birth. And of course, we want to keep that central and all that kind of stuff. Worship is important and I get all of that stuff. But even the secular things that we do as a part of the Christmas season could be made holy if we see it through the lens of, of the time of year and the celebration that we have, I think. I've never thought of it that way before. I like it, though, because really what Advent is trying to do is create a sense of anticipation yeah. so that we're not just thinking it's December 25, like that's what it's all about. Instead, Advent gives us these four weeks to anticipate what's coming, this gift that God's given us. And to, as you said, to mirror the nation of Israel that was waiting, waiting, waiting on this Messiah. So there's this sense of waiting. And Man, if ever there was a year where that feels heavy is like this one, where we feel like we keep waiting for either what we've been promised or the hope that's supposed to come or change or getting back to normal, like we're just sort of stuck in the season of waiting. And it's why the Advent season feels so perfect to layer over this end of the year while we're all exhausted from waiting. Because Advent says, you know, in order to make sense of waiting, what I love about our God is that he actually is with us yeah. in the waiting, right? Like Emmanuel, God with us. And so it's not necessarily that he has to solve it or answer it for us. Instead, he just comes to be with us in the tension. And I, I'm going to get a little nerdy here. One of my favorite Bible teachers, of course, other than you, Tim, is, oh is another Tim, Tim Mackey, who is, uh, he does, he's one of the co-founders of the Bible Project. And they did a series. The Bible Project is actually doing an amazing Advent series. So if you're looking for something really great to watch with your kids, you can just Google the Bible Project Advent and it'll come up. And he did a whole video talking about waiting. And he talks about how this word to wait and, uh, and the Hebrew word for hope is there are two words, yachal and kava. And the reason I like them is he explains them this way. He says, the one, Yechal, is how Noah waited after the flood for the water to recede. Like that's a state of waiting. And Kava, Kava actually means the tension you experience. I was thinking actually about our kids doing um, a tug of war. It's like when a rope is pulled really tight and there's that tension in a rope, that is that's another understanding of the word to wait, which I think perfectly is this year. We, I feel like we all feel pulled really tight. Mm -hmm. Our nerves are kind of frayed. We're just waiting for this tension to be released. But that right there is the understanding of Advent, like this sense of like this tense, hard waiting for something we've been promised. We're hopeful. We're looking around. Is it coming our way yet? And we're not sure. 
but Christmas, Christmas itself is then the release of that tension. It's here it is now with your own eyes. Here's the promise, like God showed up. But isn't it really cool that God Emmanuel waits with us in the tension while we're waiting for God to show Mm -hmm. up? Like he's already there waiting with us. And if you had watched Lord of the Rings, Tim, listeners who've read these books or seen these movies will know the beauty of this is here's Frodo and Sam, and they're desperately hoping or waiting to meet up with the future king, right? Who's going to come and rescue the empire. And the whole time they're traveling, trying to find him, traveling toward this hope. And who are they traveling with? Strider, who's taking care of them on their whole journey. I'm just totally blocking out Tim's face right now as I try and tell you the story. (laughs) But the great thing we discover about Strider, Tim, is that all along he is the king. He is Aragorn. He is the servant king who's traveling with them dirty and dusty and weary. They just think he's some random guy from the pub who's helping them out on their journey. They have no idea that he is the returned king who's come to reforge the sword and to rescue the kingdom. And I think for me, it's why we watch those movies movies with our kids like that is who Christ is he's Emmanuel he's with us here in the darkness and the waiting but he's also the king who's promised to come in the kind of glory we see on a Christmas day moment well spoiler alert much <laughs> the books have only been around for how many decades now I, I know that's that's always always the case uh so um this this week we started um we started advent practice at our church on Sunday and um and we start in the first week with the idea of hope and uh there's of course four different um four different weeks during advent hope peace joy and love and uh i find it always interesting those those are clearly positive words you drop those words on anyone and those are positive words people people are longing for those sure no matter how secular or christian or whatever religion you are people long for these things and it's interesting we tie it to a season where we tell people to wait, right? To be patient, because we don't we don't want to be patient for for these things. Um, it is a good discipline, I think, to spend these times recognizing that they're not owed to us, mm-hmm. that they don't come cheaply and easily. So sometimes waiting for them is indeed the, right. the sort of disposition that we need to take. But we talked about hope, and you mentioned that this year is a particularly uh, strange or peculiar year. Um, for Advent because we're all waiting for so many tensions. And, you know, like I've heard, I've heard so many artificial end points in America in 2020, right? Like when, uh, when we get through these two weeks and then it was, well, when we get to summer and then when school year starts next year and uh, when the second wave dies down and when the political season is over and when sports Mm -hmm. start back and all these win, 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 when we, and um, uh, the things that I notice about Americans, please forgive, please forgive me, Americans. I love you with all my heart. I'm proud to be an American. But the thing I notice about Americans is that, w- like, we are a people where enough is never enough. There's, we, like, we don't even have a definition of enough in America. And so, like, we create these endpoints and say, well, when we get to this point, then then I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And we keep crossing these points and it's not okay. Like it's clearly yeah. <laughs> not okay. And, and rightfully so I'm not even making the argument that it shouldn't be okay. Right. right? right. But um, you know, then I, then I remember the story of the, uh, the general who was captured and when he articulated why all the people captured with him died, this, this was Stockholm, by the way, right. is because they all gave themselves endpoints. Like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be home for Easter. And then when they weren't, they lost hope and couldn't, right. 
Um, and so, so like doing this work that we do, this, this, this very Western American thing that we do of like putting arbitrary endpoints and saying, well, it'll be okay when I get to this and then find out that it doesn't satisfy the way we want brings us right back to Advent. Like we don't really want to just get the holidays over. We don't really just want to get a vaccine. We don't really just want to get back to normal because we're going to find a new problem when we get there. And we may also find that that getting there isn't as satisfying as we hoped it was all mm -hmm. along. I even predict that there will be people that get back into the hustle and bustle of life before and long for some of the quiet moments of 2020 that they didn't enjoy when they were there. Mm -hmm. Now, all of that said, what's great, I think, about Advent is that it removes us from this social conditioning that we have and to remind us that, like, it's really hope that we want. We really want hope. And we create narratives of how we'll achieve hope. Um, but don't ever really appreciate the process and the joy that hope itself is. Mm. And so here we are in Advent, um, leading up till Christmas, talking about patience, talking about expectation, talking about waiting. And in the first week comes hope. And I imagine that it's pretty easy, I imagine, for people to just be dismissive of that in a situation like we're in today. Mm. Like hope, what is, what even is that, right? <laughs> yeah. I know it's funny you were saying these are four positive words like on the surface, but I have always found hope to be a very scary word. It's terrifying to me because what if you hope in something and then it disappoints? I mean, there's a reason there's that scripture verse, right? That says hope deferred makes the soul sick. Mm. Like there's nothing worse than a hope that doesn't realize. Yeah. And so hope can feel so risky. And one of my kids at the moment has had this big hope for something in our in our family. And in our family this year has been a really trying year as it has been for many, many people. We are not the exception here, but there's been job loss and school changes and, um, and not just online school, but shifting completely to a new school because our we couldn't afford to be in the school we had been in before. And um, with everything that's changed, one of my children said to me, mom, anytime I start to feel hope, I just shove it deep down into the bottom of my stomach and ignore it. And man, it stopped me in my tracks. I, I couldn't stop thinking about that for weeks, like this fear of even hoping because there had been so much disappointment. And start, I started to think about this year about, about God and this promise of Advent where hope is the first week. And you have to imagine at this point in Israel's history, when Jesus was born, I think they were kind of at that place. They're just like, let me just shove this hope down so far. I can just pretend it's not even real. Because what do you do when a hope has been disappointed so many times? And that's been part of what I've wrestled through this year a lot. And I think I came back finally to the reminder that if we tie hope to our circumstances, we will always be disappointed right? Because we can't guarantee how our circumstances will work out. Ultimately, we don't have control. That's one of the things we learned this year. So if hope is dependent on my circumstances, I'm in a lot of trouble. But if I can anchor hope to God's promises, that is very different because it's not circumstantial then. That is a solid rock that's not going to give. And God has said over and over again, these are the promises to you. And Romans 15, 13 says, now may the God of hope, the God of hope, I like that that's one of mm -hmm. his names, yeah. fill you with all joy and peace as you believe 
so that you may overflow with hope. But then I like this part. It's not just like so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's as if he knows we can't hope alone, right? So the Holy Spirit is going to help us (laughs) to actually have hope and to believe. And that has been what I've had to talk to my kids about. God is a God who does give good gifts. He makes promises. He's true to his word. And so it's okay to put our hope in him. We can trust him because that's what hope is. It's an act of trust. You're giving somebody like your most tender treasure, your hopes. And that's what this first week is. I feel like it's this con- this constant tension for me of, can I put my hope in God? Will he disappoint me or not? If I look at my circumstances, I can feel disappointed. But if I look at God and what he's promised me, then I can tell my kid who keeps shoving his hope down into his gut, wait, wait, wait. God says he's a good father. And he says, if human fathers give gifts and not just bread at Christmas time, like give fun gifts that are on your Christmas list. If human fathers give gifts like that, how much more will our father God give good gifts? He doesn't give rock or a scorpion or a snake. We, we can trust him. We can put our hopes in him. We can pull our hopes out of our gut and like say out loud, here are my hopes. And that has been a huge victory for us to have my kid start to articulate some of his hopes oh, again. That's brilliant. So one of the things about um, that intertestamental period, you'd mentioned that um, that the people were probably weary in, in the gospels of having their hope dashed so many times. Uh, It's really interesting to um, look at historians. We don't have Bible between Malachi and Matthew, but we have historians who have looked at that time. I mean, it's, it's, it's a season of the world where we can study. And there are a lot of stories in that time of God's silence through the prophets of people emerging with messianic characters, and then there being sizable followings uh, from inside of Israel. And so, Hope was such that they believed that God was going to act and their belief that God was going to act allowed some people to just jump on any train that came through town. And some became more famous than others. Um, the Maccabees, which you can read about that in um, in like a, like a Catholic Apocrypha. It's not hard to find some of that story. The, the Maccabees, Judas Maccabeus, he... Um, he had some strong messianic overtones that that if you looked at it through the right lens, you could see Isaiah all over mm-hmm. him. And um, he was a military leader who who almost like Spartacus led rebellion. You know, he got people on his side, and Israel thought like, "Here we go, we're going to take down these foreign rulers, and we're going to centralize ourselves again." And and he dies; he's killed, and one after another, these would-be messiahs that different parts of Israel, different connections to Isaiah, um, people would would hold the book of Isaiah up against them and say, oh, I can see it. They develop following and they would end up killed. And every time that this would-be messiah was killed, every single time, followers dispensed, went back home, and mm-hmm. uh, they didn't talk about him anymore, mm-hmm. one after another. And so Jesus comes into that situation as well. Mm-hmm. One more crazy-eyed, loud-talking, big-idead, charismatic leader, and am I going to risk following him when every other person who's followed these leaders has ended up back home disgraced? There's a cost to following Jesus that 
like it's so easy for us as Christians to say, well, come on, guys, he's self-evidently the Messiah, right? Have you even read Isaiah? Yeah, everyone was reading Isaiah in that time, and their hopes had been dashed over and over and over, and their hope was so desperate. I mean, that's the thing is like, then you bend the text and you bend your story because your hope is so desperate for the Messiah to come and fix the world that we're in. And that's a situation that Jesus walks into and he fulfills our hopes. But look, he fulfills our hopes in ways that his contemporaries didn't always even realize their hopes were, Mm. which I think is fascinating as well. And so one of the things I want to think about when I think about hope is what is it that we're hoping for? Because if we're hoping for all of the wrong things, we'll join our Jewish brothers and sisters from the first century and missing that Jesus was it. Hmm. If we're if our hope is always placed in things that look like status, power, wealth, fun, entertainment, um, those may not be the hopes that Jesus is going to fulfill. And so one of the disciplines that I think is great in Advent is it gives us an opportunity to sort of center ourselves back in the person of Jesus and realign our hopes into something that's more Christ-shaped. Because it was confusing as all get out to first century followers that Jesus was killed. All the other messiahs were killed too. That ended messiah movements left, right, up, down. That was always the end. What made Jesus so spectacularly different was a story that emerged of resurrection and then a re-emergence of his followers to boldly proclaim that he was alive. That separated him so much from the Messiahs before. And so um, even the disciples almost missed it. Like if it weren't for the resurrection and Jesus appearing to them, they would have missed it too. And my fear is always, am I, like, am I missing what God is doing in my life, in my world? Like, I don't read the disciples anymore. I used to and think, oh my gosh, they're such nincompoops. Like, this is what I, like, always thought they were such nincompoops. And, and now I read them more and more and say, holy cow, if their hopes were misaligned, and if they missed what God was doing, and Jesus made flesh right in front of them, how easy is it for me to miss what God is doing in my life? Yeah, I mean, Jesus's biggest um, herald, his fan, and his relative, John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus and declared that he was the Messiah, circles back later and says, wait, are you really the Messiah? Yeah. Isn't that wonderful that yeah, that absolutely. story is in there? I think often the gospels, why I love them so much is they're not a collection of the hype stories. Mm-hmm. They're a collection of the failure and the doubt stories absolutely. because we are able to relate to that. These are stories that we live as human beings where we're constantly on the one hand, so hopeful, so sure And then on the other hand, we're going to have days where we have deep doubts and we feel alone and in the darkness. And then we have John the Baptist, who was like the greatest, you know, pronouncement of Christ, who himself then whispers in a back corner, wait, wait, like, are you really? And isn't it so great that Jesus doesn't reprimand him? He doesn't get mad at him. He doesn't call him out. He doesn't say, oh, I guess your faith was no good. No, he actually then proves himself and says, go and tell John what you see, that the lame walk, the blind see, like he offers proof of who he is. Yeah. And if ever there was a, a, 
a metaphor for 2020, right? How about John the Baptist in jail, right? Like we feel like we're <laughs> no. locked up, locked in, right? And and so many of us are, are asking that question, right? Is this is, is this Jesus really the Messiah? Is it really worth giving my life to? Because people are asking reorienting questions left right. and right right now. Especially because I think Advent can feel churchy. Oh, that's something you do at church on Sunday. Like that's, but what does it mean actually for me here on a Thursday afternoon when I'm worried about my bank balance? Mm-hmm. What does it mean when my kid is having really difficult mental struggle with the isolation of COVID? What does it mean in my marriage that's in this really tense place and I don't know who to talk to about it because I'm not in person with anybody anymore like i guess why i've come to love advent is advent brings church out of the church building and into my home on a thursday afternoon because what advent says is it recognizes there's a difference between the darkness of waiting and it recognizes that waiting feels dark it's hard it's weary and that's why we have those songs from those scripture verses the weary world and then rejoices but Mm -hmm. the weary world part yeah that's where we are with advent advent feels weary and heavy and exhausted and overwhelming and i love these four weeks because they give you permission to feel those feelings it's not like you have to sweep it under the rug and just be so joyful because jesus came advent says guess what you get four whole weeks of weary waiting before you get this day of recognizing that Jesus came. And so there's this deep empathy for hopelessness that we experience in the season of waiting. It's why I've had to learn actually from friends through the liturgical um, traditions that Advent music is very different than Christmas music, for example. So Joy to the World, that is a Christmas song, but songs that sound more like lament really our Advent songs, those are the songs of the weary world groaning, you know, yeah. the reason there's that. Come thou long expected Jesus, yes. like that yes. th- that word come, come, I know. long expected, come. I know. And I love that line, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope is an implication. It feels to me like a slice, you know, like a tiny bit, like suddenly there's a spark in the darkness. And often in years past when we've celebrated Advent, It's been hard to kind of think ourselves into weary, heavy darkness because usually it's like Christmas break and it's so fun and we're traveling to see family and presents and yay, rah, rah, rah. Everything is bright and sparkly. This year, Tim, has been much easier to align with the darkness. And I think it's one of the gifts of 2020 to look at this season and say, gosh, if ever there was a time where, you know, 21st century America could resonate with Israel and those centuries, you know, that predate even Christ's birth, it's now because we feel so much uncertainty and so much insecurity and so much lack of control over our future. That was the season they were living in before Christ was born. So we get to empathize in a way we haven't before. So this year, for the first time, I felt like the darkness is much easier to resonate with than the light. And it makes it all the sweeter that there is this promise of a thrill of hope that comes on Christmas Day. But it's it's made this Advent season, man, really powerful and easier to enter into. And so I don't know if you're listening, you've never done Advent before. I do want to encourage you that it isn't a super churchy thing. You don't have to get a you know, big book to read through. There are a lot of really great digital resources, for example. So if you use the app, the Version Bible, it's a free app they have a bunch of Advent reading plans right in the app that you can just click on. And the one done by the Bible Project is in there. 
it's beautiful. They have an illustrated video that plays for each day explaining part of this journey of Advent hope. Or um, if you Google um, She Reads Truth or Kids Read Truth is the kids version, they have Advent plans as well. Biola University every year does an amazing Advent devotional where you sign up to get an email they send you every day. And there's a piece of art, a piece of music, and then a description, like a devotional that goes with it every day. Now, I am not so ambitious as to try and get my children to participate every day, but what we do try and do once a week, so maybe that's on a Sunday night when we're eating and everybody's trapped around the table anyway, then I'll bring out my computer and maybe play the Advent devotional from Biola, or maybe this year we'll try and find another movie series to watch our way through basically anything that invites your children into a story that's bigger than themselves. And I, I mean, kids get this better than adults do. They love stories. It's why the gaming franchise is making so much money off of our children. Yeah. It's because stories are really powerful. And this one, man, this is a kicker of a story. Yeah. And if you didn't want to follow anything um, that, that specific or laid out, I mean, goodness, it, it would be an interesting practice, I think, to um, watch a Christmas movie. Let's say you put on Home Alone and yeah. when you're done, Talk about the four themes of Advent: peace, hope, joy, and love. And where did you see it? Where did you see where like did you that. see hope in this movie? Right? And and just talk about like building building practices in your life where you're capable of identifying these gifts that God gives in the stories you participate with and in your own life. But it takes a bit of intentionality with our lives to disciple our children and to um, it, invite our family into intentional practices. And it's not easy, of course, but, you know, I, I mentioned to you before we started recording that I wanted to do good service to Pastor Lynn, who um, always talks about how she's trying to partner with the family to raise strong children. And if you're listening to this with ears of a parent on, um, Advent is a great season to, to throw in some intentional acts. I know in my life, um, December is busy on the one hand, but on the other hand, like, sports are done, um, extracurriculars are mostly off because people don't want to compete for time. We have, we've had parties and dinners to go to, but there is something a little less chaotic about December in my house because I don't have rotate like every Tuesday and Thursday night soccer and every Friday and Monday soccer, whatever. And so um, it is a good time, I think, to to find a time a week where you do something intentional and you think as a parent beforehand, I'm, I'm going to be intentional about this and invite invite your children and family to think critically about the world we live in and how it is we can see um, the gifts of Christ in our world, even, even in the art or stories that we interact with. Yeah, I love it too. I think that man, is there anything more dramatic than the Christmas story? It is a perfect script, you know, for a movie. It is, we tend to look at it just on the earthly narrative of what happened. So there's a woman and a man and a baby is born and it's in a stable. But what I love too, there's a book that's always meant a lot to me by Philip Yancey called The Jesus I Never Knew. And I think it might be what we use in our family this year as we work our way through Advent, because what it does is it offers these different perspectives and takes on Jesus that are a little less tame, maybe, than we're used to. And he talks a lot about this idea of what Christmas was like from a heavenly perspective. He talks about these two parallel universes that are operating here. There's ours, the earthly one, but there's a cosmic story that's happening at the same time. And so while Revelation is a very strange book, 
it does give us a tiny glimpse behind the scenes of a spiritual dimension we don't often think about as humans. But man, I think about that night and that story about what was actually happening from the cosmic perspective. And I, I love to just read like a few lines from Yancey's description to give you a taste of the kind of things we read in our house now leading up to Advent. My poor children, whether they like it or not, I make them sit down, I get the book, I stand up and I do like a super dramatic reading. I know my teenagers like roll their eyes at me and I don't care because I believe right. it borrows into them, you know, whether they want to or not, it's exciting. The story we believe is exciting. And this is what Yancey writes. He says, it is almost beyond my comprehension, and yet I accept this notion is key to understanding Christmas and is the touchstone of my faith. As a Christian, I believe that we live in parallel worlds. One world consists of hills and lakes and barns and politicians and shepherds watching their flocks by night. The other consists of angels and sinister forces and somewhere out there places called heaven and hell. One night, in the cold, in the dark, among the wrinkled hills of Bethlehem, those two worlds came together at a dramatic point of intersection. God, who knows no before or after, entered time and space. God, who knows no boundaries, took on the shocking confines of a baby's skin, the ominous restraints of mortality. And he says here, Revelation is a strange book by any measure, and readers must understand its style to make sense of this extraordinary spectacle. In daily life, two parallel histories occur simultaneously, one on earth and one in heaven. Revelation, however, views them together, allowing a quick look behind the scenes. On earth, a baby was born, a king got wind of it, a chase ensued. In heaven, the great invasion had begun, a daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. Listen, chills, goosebumps. This is why we do Advent, because it is an epic story, and I don't want my kids, but most of all myself, to miss out on it. Absolutely. And so as we wrap this up, I, I just want to remind you, um, I have a few pastoral things that I think I often say to people, especially in... Uh, more quiet moments, uh, like counseling. And I guess this isn't counseling, but to some degree, it's just me and you, right? It's my voice and the listener and um, Lisa Joe in as well, my co-counselor today. But one of the things that I want to invite you all to think about as we leave this today is what is it that you're hoping for? I think a lot of times um, our, our desires in life and our actions don't always line up perfectly. And then we wonder why it is we get results that, um, that are surprising or difficult. Um, Advent, a season of waiting, an intentional waiting in space, a, um, a, a season where we, we, we could just be honest about the, the darkness in our world and our longings. It's a great time to reshape um, parts of our life, right? And so I invite you as, as part of thinking about this week of hope that we come out of in Advent to, to be not afraid to write down or journal or just take mental stock of what are, what are the things that really matter to you? What are the things that you're truly hoping for? What are the things that one day on your deathbed, you'll look back and, and uh, be able to think and say, that's what made my life good. And I think it's a good, good practice to do that because then what we can do, we can't control the future, right? But we can control what we're doing to live in the direction of the things that we hope for. And hopefully the things that we hope for are God-shaped dreams and God-shaped calls and, and, and God 
God-ordained and God-given gifts and lifestyles. And hopefully that the heart of God's hopes for us become the hopes of our own heart. I mean, that's part of the Christian discipline. But I, I imagine that if you're a parent listening to this, one of your hopes is that your child leaves your house with a firm relationship with Jesus. Um, if you're listening to this, I imagine your hope is that your marriage is Christ-centered and growing stronger all the time. These are the kind of things that make for lives that are good and meaningful. And my invitation to you is to just really get down to three or four things that you really hope for, that that really, really are what's going to color whether or not your life, your family are good. And uh, use this Advent season to, to begin to think about how you can create practices and meaningful things that lead you in that direction so that hopes aren't just darts thrown into the future, hoping they land on a target, but actual articulated, named, visionary dreams that, that God has given you, that you're living day by day doing something to shape your life in that direction as a, as a response to God's call in your life. And so my invitation to you is to not let hope just be an emotion that comes and goes with circumstances, but that hope becomes God's call in your life. And um, and what you do in response to God's call in your life is to live a life in the direction of what God is calling you and what will look like a thriving life when you're one of God's children. Lisa Joe, thank you so much for joining me. This has been rich and the things you've shared today have uh, sparked new imaginations in me and, and I, I appreciate that. I don't know that I'm going to watch uh, yeah, Lord of the Rings. New imaginations, just like great movies do. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but you know, I do like Philip Yancey, so I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been great having you. Thanks for enjoy, uh, coming into our conversation. We hope this has enriched your life this week. Thank you for joining us for Through Life's Crossroads. This has been a ministry of Crossroads Church with Pastor Jake and Pastor Tim. We encourage you to continue to engage with us online throughout the week on Facebook at Crossroads Church of the Nazarene and also on Instagram, Crossroads Naz Church. Thanks for joining us for this episode.